Hello, this is Justin Mason, and what you're about to hear is recordings from last weekend's Potapalooza 2024. This was a live stream event hosted over two days, 20 hours in total. And sometimes during this event, because so many different people are involved, the audio isn't quite what you would expect from a normal podcast. I hope you still enjoy the content, but I apologize if there is some choppiness or rough listening at points. Enjoy. are raising money for fantasy cares if we've raised over two thousand dollars for uh through potapalooza fantasy cares is a fantastic organization that uh buys a ton of gifts for toys for tots every year for kids 25 cities last year they spend tens of thousands of dollars on uh, uh toys for children among other charitable things that they do they've donated uh a ronald acuna signed jersey a Jose Canseco signed jersey, uh, and an Eric Gagne signed jersey to give away uh, amongst all the other prizes, a bunch of uh, fantastic prizes we're going to be giving away, including TGFBI spots for every $1,000 we raise through Potapalooza and TGFBI, which if you include the TGFBI participants and satellite participants that have been donating all draft season, uh, we've raised over $8,000 so far. So really appreciate everybody who has been a part of Potapalooza, part of TGFBI, TGFBI Trust, kickoff tomorrow. I've got the seven spot, or actually, no, I've got the nine spot, and I'm just racking my brain on who I'm going to take. I think I know, but we'll see. Uh, we've got another great panel coming in, including the host for this panel, because I'm going to get to take a bathroom break here. My <laughs> friend, Sarah Sanchez. How you doing, Sarah? I am doing great. Cody Bellinger re-signed with the Cubs late last night. Oh, you so, got to you know, be ecstatic right now. Just in time for my birthday. My birthday is tomorrow, and the oh. Cubs got me Cody Bellinger for my birthday. <laughs> oh, happy birthday. That is such a sweet gift from them. Yeah, right? Thoughtful, that Jed Hoyer. How's it going, Justin? Good to be here. It's going great. Uh, I've been... I've been podcasting for the last two straight hours. I need a bathroom break, so you're going to take over. But why don't you remind everybody where you reach on social media and then plug all that you do because you're doing a lot these days. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, at BCB underscore Sarah on everything except Blue Sky where they don't allow underscores. So just get rid of that. Um, and I have a new uh, podcast at Pitcher List called Fantasy Feud. It's been a lot of fun. Me and Shelly Verstrate debating out the most controversial issues in drafts, in fantasy baseball, things that are going on. And I believe Justin and Paul are going to join us in a couple of weeks. We're going to do some sleeper in the bus debate. So you will not want to miss that. Be sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Been writing at Baseball HQ for my fantasy work. And of course, uh, my Cubs work at Bleed Cubby Blue where you know I'll have a lot to say about this Cody Bellinger news that kept me up late last night. Well, I'm super excited to come on to the pod with Paul and you and Shelly. Uh, you guys are two of my favorite people in the industry, so it's going to be an absolute blast. Also joining us is Patio Joe. How you doing, my friend? Very good. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Why don't you remind everybody where you can reach on social media and plug everything you got going on? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Patio Joe Ref. I work, uh, you can find my work over at fantasyguru.com. I write a host of articles on preseason articles about 
Um, a topic that isn't really talked about much on here, head-to-head -head points. I'm very passionate about the, those leagues. Um, I also write the uh, weekly fab article this year for uh, Fantasy Gurus, as well as the weekly umpire article. I have a friend of mine who gives me the umpiring um, schedules before, like maybe like a little bit before they come out because he works for one of the teams. So I get that information. I dissect it and I turn it into more of a DFS kind of spin on it. Um, you know, we might have a pitcher that is a, you know, I'm going today and you have a pitcher's umpire that's behind the dish. And so you might want to target him more on a, a daily uh, aspect. I love that. Looking for any advantage you can get. Uh, we need more head to head points league content out there because uh, not enough of us do uh, that format, but that is the format. The majority of people in fantasy play. So shout out to you uh, or kudos to you uh, for delivering that content, which is so needed in our industry. Uh, joining us as well is Michael A. Stein, Mr. Fantasy Judgment. How you doing, my friend? I'm good, Justin. Thanks for having me back again. Pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, Sarah, you know, my birthday was this past Monday and my Mets this year have gifted me Sean Manaya. They've gifted me Luis Severino. They've gifted me Yulmer Sanchez. They've gifted me Joey Wendell. So basically they've gifted me a whole pile of crap. Um, so you got a better present than I did. <laughs> Mets are going to Mets, man. <laughs> Yeah, they yeah, always met. LOL, that. LOL Mets. That's right. And uh, and Joe, just you know, my home league for the 26th year this year, we've been head to head points, and I totally agree. It's an area that definitely needs a lot more dissection and analysis. So I, I really look forward to reading your stuff as well. Michael, why don't you remind right. everybody where you can read on social media and then plug everything you do? You got it. Um, I'm on Twitter. It'll always be Twitter, never X Twitter at Fantasy Judgment. Uh, make sure you spell judgment correctly J U D G M E N T. Um, you, I, I do uh, fantasy sport dispute resolution. So if you guys have trades in your leagues or commissioners abusing their power, scoring discrepancies, uh, issues interpreting rules, I will issue you an unbiased legal opinion resolving your issues. So you can find me at fantasyjudgment.com. It's $25 per case or $125 for the entire season. And I'm happy to give away a free season for you, Justin, as part of uh, your, your gift giving Hey, I appreciate it. I get a lot of those fantasy judgment uh, questions throughout the year. So now someone's going to not have to worry about trying to get me on the, the Twitter machine to answer it. Uh, they can get an actual judge from fantasy judgment. So, well, uh, listen, Justin, you could be, you, you could be, you could, you're, I'm happy to have you as an amicus judge. You can give an opinion um, as a guest of the court anytime. As a person who's been on the wrong side of the legal system uh, for many years, uh, I, I uh, would prefer to uh, stay out of any sort of courtroom, including a fantasy courtroom. Duly noted. <laughs> Joining us as well for his third panel of Potapalooza, because he pinch hits better than anyone in the industry. That is Jason Collette. How you doing, my friend? All right, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. Remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug anything you got going on. Hanging out at Blue Sky. Wee! Oh, that way. Uh, and then collect calls column at Rotowire. Uh, and then normally you and I would be talking for sleeper in the bust on Sundays in this very hour. But yep. instead, we're going to have this uh, audio put in that time slot uh, on the feed. So looking forward to this hour with these fine lady and gentlemen. There you go. Uh, all right. I'm going to turn things over to Sarah and uh, get to go use the restroom and uh, walk around for a little bit. 
Uh, but I will see you guys at the end of the hour. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. And thanks so much, Great. everyone, for for being here. I, you know, I really appreciate what both Michael and Joe were saying there about head-to-head points. And if at any point during this discussion, you want to specify that you're answering for a head-to-head situation as opposed to a roto situation and how that how that impacts your answer, please do, because I agree there's not nearly enough content out there for those head-to-head points leagues. I also play in a head-to-head categories league. That's my home league. And that's another space where things get just a little bit different. You might you might privilege some players over other guys. So definitely something to keep in mind. Always know the rules of your league. We are talking draft strategy here today. And I just wanted to start super broad at the very beginning, and then we'll work our way into some granular draft specific situations. But I'm curious for everyone here, what is the earliest draft you do and how do you prepare for it? I'll start with you, Michael. Well, we just started um, the Tout Wars draft and hold last week. Uh, so that's the earliest one that I do. And it's I think it's my fifth year in the league. And uh, every year, you, you know, it's draft and hold. You, you're drafting 50 players. You don't have to worry about transactions. So you're always trying to focus on having enough depth at all positions. And no matter how much I focus on trying to get enough pitching, it's never enough. Uh, last year, I lost Brandon Woodruff. I lost Justin Verlander. Uh, you know, I had I basically the first top four starters that I drafted were gone uh, before May. So I, I this year, instead of focusing on that, uh, so we're about eight rounds into that draft. I've kind of pivoted. I have three pitchers so far. I have Gallon, Max Fried, and Alexis Diaz. And instead of uh, focusing on the pitching staff, I've actually really beefed up my offense because they're at this point, you know, all the pitchers that are left are kind of in the same, I, relatively the same uh, range. So I will focus on that later on in the draft. But instead of prioritizing something that has failed me for the last few years, I'm really focusing on building up an offense and, and being versatile in all five of the categories that we have. Yeah, it's so interesting what you say about focusing on hitting versus focusing on pitching in a draft and hold. I was thinking this through for this hour. The earliest draft I do every year is a draft and hold at first pitch Arizona, which is usually being drafted that first weekend in November. And I was looking back at my draft for this episode and realizing all the things I would do differently with what I know now. For example, no Shane Boz. I would not have taken Shane Boz in that draft where I took him, uh, knowing that the Rays are going to do with him there. But that's part of just drafting really early, right? The Ronnie Mauricio pick that I made at, at out there in Arizona looked great when I made it. And now that looks pretty terrible. Uh, Joe, what about you? What's the earliest draft you do and how do you prepare for it? Well, after I take probably about a two-week sports detox after football's over, I just have to like my brain is just fried. I I referee high school football. I've done college. I you know I'm obviously I'm in the fantasy football space too, so I just need to take a little bit of a break and kind of reset. Um, but my my first drafts probably won't be until like right around this time, uh, end of February, beginning of March. Um, I'm trying to hone in on what strategies I want and such like that. So I'm not, I don't really like drafting too, too early in baseball. Yeah. I, you know, I wish that I didn't have, that I wasn't drafting so early. I just can't, I can't help myself. <laughs> those drafts open in November those gladiators are going on in December and January. And I, I kind of just have to jump in. It's a nice way for me to get to know the board, but a lot of times I'm doing it even before the first projection systems are coming out. So it's really just off of feel and, and rankings and what I've been thinking about as the season ends, then it's a nice way to get to know the board. Uh, what about you, Jason? What is the earliest draft you do each year and why? 
Well, before I talk about that, I do have to show because Danielle is in the house. I have to show her this. I still have this from First Pitch Arizona. So I'm showing her that. Uh, But the earliest one I do is XFL. And so XFL, for those that don't know, uh, it's a a dynasty league. uh, And you can only draft with depth charts. That's all you're allowed to have. You have one sheet of paper back and forth. No computers, no nothing. You're drafting with dra- uh, draft charts, so depth charts rather. So you have to have all that information in your head, uh, and so you sometimes can see bargains, but you're allowed to keep. Uh, forget how many, at least fifteen. Uh, and you, there's also a minor league draft, and we do the minor league draft at First Pitch Florida this uh, this next weekend. Uh, and so that's the earliest, and then I have usually a draft and hold right on the heels of that uh, that I do as well. So I like. I like that because you can find some pretty nice bargains. Sarah, you were saying you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But every now and then you're, you're able to find some really nice bargains drafting that early before the uh, before the ADP helium starts kicking in on certain guys. Yeah, that's true. You definitely can sort of project out. And, you know, like I said, Ronnie Mauricio made a ton of sense before he tore his ACL. And now I'll just keep that in my back pocket for next year. <laughs> and I would also another point I would say is doing these early deeper drafts helps you do research for the shallower ones. Like tonight, I'm in my first Rotowire OC, and so that's a 12-team mix. Everything I've done has been 15 and 18 teams so far. Now I'm moving to a 12. That's a different mindset, but it allows you, especially especially if you are in an AL or an NL-only league, the fact that you're 750 players deep in a 50-team in a draft and hold, all of a sudden those are names down there in the late 40s that you will be rostering in your NL because you kind of have to. Uh, so it's I find it nice to be, use those deeper earlier drafts to help me research for my mono leagues later um, in draft season. I think that's a great point. And I, I love the draft and hold format for that because you do get that 50 rounds of really trying to dig deep into the different depth charts. And you sort of see where those fifth starters for the middling teams are going, those types of things where you can get some pitching bargains later. Speaking of bargains, I generally figure out my bargains based off of projection systems and values. I like using an auction calculator to try to put things together and see what those look like. Obviously, if you're drafting super early, those projection systems aren't out yet. So maybe you're going a little bit by feel or your own rankings. But I'm curious how everyone on this panel uses projections. If you have a favorite system, if you're kind of smashing them together and using an aggregate of different systems, or if you are wildly capable, unlike me, and you make your own. And I'll start with Joe on this question. Okay, well, I don't make my own projections. However, when it comes to projections, I'll use Steamer for times. But as in head-to-head points leagues, I feel like projections are very beneficial um, because head-to-head points leagues, there's not one uh, standard league. Everybody's a little bit different. There's holds. There's there's doubles. There's triples. Everybody has different point values. So having a good projection system that you can like put in what categories you need and then it spits out. Uh, better numbers, uh, you know, like for instance, I always put up, I always use the, 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 um, the example of Ellie Dela Cruz. He is one of the top 25, 50 players in, in a regular, um, in a regular uh, fantasy baseball league, but in head to head points, he strikes out too much for me. So he's down in the, in like around a hundred he's because, so you just need to know the league. So when it comes to projections for me, um, it's very, very beneficial for in head to head points leagues. In other leagues, I don't necessarily put too much emphasis on them because, you know, you can't predict an injury, you can't predict a trade, you can't predict a minor league call-up, and you can't predict the decisions like a manager's going to make or the front office so or how they're going to deal with a, a struggling player. So I kind of just I, – I, I, I take a look at them, but I heed warning and not put too much emphasis in them. 
It's a great point about the head-to-head -head point systems and needing that auction calculator to really set those values because you can specify what that point system looks like and, and how those values are calculated. And yeah, different players have radically different values in those different situations. I actually um, have the tout, my tout draft on Tuesday. It's the special categories one that is like, saves and holds and innings pitched instead of wins. And so I have to run an entirely different set of numbers for that, right? Like every other draft that I've done this year does not use those categories and it changes how I'm going to approach the middle rounds in particular and how I'm going to approach closers. It's a great point about knowing your system and making sure you use those projection systems wisely for that. Jason, what about you? What's your, what's your pre preference with pr projection systems? So yeah, I forgot to say I'm I'm the opposite of of Joe and Michael. I don't do any points league. So everything I'm talking about is is standard roto. I have never done points and I don't know. I may try it one of these times, but I've never done it. So just putting that out there. But uh, you know, especially when early drafting, as you said, Sarah, steamer is usually the only one that's there. Uh, I tend to like uh, one of my favorite tools out there is Tanner Bell's projection aggregator. If you go to smartfantasybaseball.com, download it, uh, I think it's $15. But what I love about it is it allows you to pull in your five favorite projection systems. Uh, and then you can take a nice look. And the Fangraphs pages has it where you can see uh, your steamer, you can see the bat, and you can see zips, you can see ATC. But like if you if those aren't in your favorite kind of projection systems, you have the ability to pull it in the aggregator and you can get a singular view of the line or you can get a view. You can go in and say, OK, what are these five things saying? And then from that view, if I see a player, I'm like, wow, somebody has Teoscar Hernandez for 39 home runs and somebody's got him for 28. I want to look at both of those. I want to see why the system is thinking 39. I also want to see why it's 38 because projections, for the most part, tend to be very tight. You know, there's not a lot of variability on the whole, but I like to look at the end. Who's on the high, who's on the low, and then have my research go from there. But on these early drafts, you, you're kind of stuck with last year's dollar values and what you thought about that player. And if you're a big fan of looking for rebounds, as I am, I love looking at guys that disappoint him and moving them up my draft chart because their market value tends to be lower uh, in early drafts. That's where I usually start. That's a great point about looking for those gaps in value. And also, I find it's helpful to look for those players who are super consistent, right? Like one of the things all of the projection systems agree on this year is that Julio Rodriguez is going to put up another 30-30 season. Mm -hmm. And when you're projecting a 30-30 season across multiple projection systems, it goes a long way to showing why he's one of those first four players usually off the board because he's just got such a high floor relative to everybody else. Michael, what about you? How are you using projection systems to inform your process? Well, well, Joe actually stole my thunder. I literally had written down Ellie De La Cruz and talking about him in a head-to-head -head points league because every, everything Joe said is exactly correct. Um, you know, he, he is very minimized in a head-to-head -head points league because because of those strikeouts. In my league, it's negative one point. And when you you know look at the guys that tend to strike out 150, 200 times, you know they may have very sexy stats, home runs, RBIs whatever, but it gets completely negated if they strike out all the time. So in that sense, um, you know, he's minimized. I really don't use a lot of projections in my roto leagues. You know, I will look at trends. I will look at, you know, what people have done if they're coming off injuries, bounce back years, a contract year. But, you know, someone like Cody Bellinger, you know, your birthday present, Sarah, <laughs> look at his track over the last three years. How could you possibly, you know, project anything? for him you know now he's got a you know a comfortable three-year deal he's getting paid well 
does he, you know, is, is he com just comfortable in Chicago? Does he replicate what he did this past year? Or is he really what he was in 2022 when he couldn't, you know, hit water if he fell off a bridge? So I, I think that, you know, in, in my experience, maybe I'm, I'm really not a numbers guy in fantasy baseball. I admit it. Um, a lot of it is on feel. You know, who, I know the players. I know what their capabilities are. Even in the Roto League, if I'm looking to target something specific, then yes, I will, you know, run run the generator and see who's got, you know, stolen base trends over the years. But a lot of it really is just feel and seeing how things are going. Um, but in the head-to-head -head points league, because I've changed some of my categories, for example, I got rid of quality starts two years ago because no one's throwing quality starts anymore. And I substituted it with getting one point per inning and a negative point per hit. So I feel like that's more of a, a better characterization uh, of, the, of a player's value. So when I'm looking, so I can just, you know, through CBS, you know, you plug in the projections and it actually calculates the point values based on your own scoring system. So that's what I'll look at in head-to-head -head points leagues, but I really don't use it much in Roto. No, that's a great point about um, looking at those values and like how projections might miss on a guy like Cody Bellinger in particular. And I, I do love that that deal is structured with a couple of opt-outs. So he gets to use these as prove-it years and maybe try to hit free agency again if he th puts up another 300 season where he goes 2020 and say no really this is the guy i am now but yeah you're absolutely right there is some volatility there you want to be sure you know where those parts are uh, i'm going to transition a tiny bit to the auction calculator which i use a ton i think it's a great tool for seeing where those value points are in a draft and i use it to inform the tiers of players I'm looking at like how many $40 outfielders are there? How many $30 outfielders are there? And I admit that I don't have a solid, I don't have like a straight ranking system. I'm not just going down a list and like, I'm going to move to the next guy. I'm looking for, I want one of these five $20 outfielders in this range. And I'll just take whichever one happens to come to me. But I'm wondering, how do you all use it? Do you use it for those value points? Do you use it for tiers? Do you use it to see where you want to uh, take your Kentucky Derby system slot? Like if you want to go first or if you want to go eighth or if you want to draft 14th. And Jason, we'll start with you. So I always find it with these systems that, you know, they're guidelines because like you're, you're going to sit into a your draft on Tuesday, 15 teams. There may be eight or nine different systems at a minimum. Uh, everybody may have their own. Somebody may be using uh, something, let's say several using ATC since Ariel was on the last uh, session, but there's going to be eight or nine different things. And like I said earlier, the uh, the projections are sometimes uh, rather close, but you do have some extremes. So where you may have Bellinger valued at $25, somebody else may have them at 29. So and you're going to see that you should get a feel for that early. So it's always nice to have those values when you're sitting down because you start seeing go over. You're like, all right, I guess people are going to be doing this and you can help, but you can identify things before getting uh, too late into the, uh, into the draft. Like, uh Oh, this is not going the way I thought. So I always use them as guidelines. Uh, like I know Larry Schechter is very like, Hey, if I have this guy projected at 19, I'm not going to say $20. Larry has his own system. That's the way he's done things. And I played against him for years. Uh, I'm not that guy. Like I will see if I got 25 and I'm looking at it and saying, Oh wow, the next tier, there's a pretty big drop down. I'll go the extra dollar. I may go the extra $2, uh, because I'll find bargains, I'll have to adjust elsewhere. But it's just a matter of I love having the the guidelines there and like using the software Rotolab. Rotolab is a phenomenal software. I I and input my own numbers in there uh, so that way I have some guidance. The last thing you would be sitting in a room is like, wow, we're all kind of using the same software in the same system. That's fun. I auctioneerly like that, and there's four guys that all use the same numbers in the same system, and it's fun to watch them compete against one another <laughs> during bids. 
Yeah, it's a great point you make about draft software and being able to input it to see what what is happening in the room and also to keep track of what is going on with your own system. That the next question we go to is going to look at that sort of process with draft software. It's pretty funny, actually. It was just at the Glarf draft in person in Cleveland. And based on the way that uh, myself and Eric Halterman were re- and Mark Gannon were reacting to each other, we're all kind of sitting at the same table. And every time somebody took a pick that we liked, it's like, that's a great value on my sheet. That's a great value on my sheet. I would bet money that we were all using we had that projections one year based on staying. Yeah, that one year in tout between Chris List, Jeff Erickson, and myself, it was like the Bermuda Triangle. Every time a player would come up, it was like we're just looking at each other going, oh, this sucks uh, because we kept competing against the same exact guys. Yeah, you could see it. It was it was great. Um, Michael, what about you? How are you using the auction calculator in your process? I don't do any auction drafts, so I'm not using it to prepare in that sense. But I think, like you said before, it is helpful just visualizing the tiers. Um, you know, when I'm trying to do the the KDS for the draft slot, you know, I I really haven't had an opportunity to pick in the top five in any draft that I've been in, even though I rank, I try to. But, uh, you know, then when I'm, you know, six through 10 or 10 through 15, I will look and see, you know, who's in those tiers. Um, if I think that if, you know, if, if there's a chance I could sneak somebody back, you know, around in the snake draft, Um but I, I honestly, I have not done an auction league in many years. Um, I'd like to get back into it. So I feel like if I did, I would definitely use uh, the, ca- the calculator to help me. Maybe we can make a trade. I'll do a, I'll do a points league. You do an auction league. How's that? I love it. Deal. We're, you got we're it. trading in Potapalooza. <laughs> this is like the best fantasy content you can get on Sunday. Uh, Joe, what about you? What's your take with the auction calculator? You know, it's funny. I feel like New York and Los Angeles are on the same pages today because, like, I'm, I've never done one auction in football or baseball. Um, I just has not been an arena that I've ever dipped my feet in. I am one of my biggest things in fantasy sports that I tell the members over at Fantasy Guru is know who you are as a fantasy player. You can be successful at fantasy sports. But you need to know who you are and what your strengths are and what you're good at because there's so many other different like ways to play best ball, rotisserie, head to head, DFS, uh, just to name a few. So people try and put a little bit here, a little bit there, and I don't feel like they're you know it's like the restaurant that like what's their what's their their what will they cook? Well, they cook a little bit of everything. Are they good at? Well, not really, but they have a little bit of everything. Cheesecake. So, uh, that's exactly <laughs> what I was just thinking of. <laughs> Cheesecake. You know, like a steakhouse, like you know they yeah. have steak, you know, or. So um, I when it comes to I do believe in it's good to see where the tiers will drop off. So I definitely think it's beneficial that way. Even if you don't use it, you're seeing just how like the values of certain players are there and like, oh, there's a big drop off here, you know, and this like that. And it can help you with rankings and such. Yeah, I'm going to move down a couple of questions here because draft software just came up and I think now is a good place to address it. Uh, like Jason, I use a draft software. I use the RotoWire draft software. I like how I can set my tiers in it and I like that I can see the categories sort of shaping up. I can set those category targets. We're going to talk in a little bit about how we generate those and how we adapt them to the changing landscape. But I also, I like a two screen approach because I also like to have my value sheet just kind of right off to the side. And that's just a spreadsheet where I've looked at slot position and I've looked at value to see who's going for a nice value in a draft um, or in an auction. I can see if players are going above or below or where they're going above and below on those values, just cross them off as they go. Uh, Jason, we already know that you use Roto Lab. Uh, Joe, what about you? What do you use for draft software or spreadsheet? What's your process there? 
you know, it's it's funny. I was like, I use RotoWire too. I'm like, is that is that okay to say? Like, is that? Like, I love I love the RotoWire Draft app. I've been using that for years. It's like, oh my god, it's out. Boom, let's download it right away. You know, that's probably the first thing. I also like the. Uh, I've also used the Fantastics uh, drafts software that Dan Claskins does over there over at Fantastics. I love that. Especially, I like that a little bit more if you're going to be doing like your draft on your desktop because it's definitely something you download onto your desktop or your laptop to where the RotoWire draft app you can have be at a draft with your phone I guess and use it use it just with your phone because it's on the phone so those are the two that I that I've used in the past and I love the RotoWire draft software because for head-to-head points leagues it has pretty much every category you can you can need and and will spit out good projections for it. Yeah, it's so customizable in terms of being able to change the different categories you might be using in a roto league or the different point systems that you're using or 12 team league, 14 team league. Like it's just such an adaptable tool, and you can have you can have all of your drafts just kind of loaded up right there to take a look at. Uh, Michael, what about you? Are you using draft software, spreadsheet, or just going by feel like you were saying earlier? Well, I, I, like I said, I, I am not an analytics guy when it comes to fantasy baseball. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, I've just uh, maybe I'm a little old school with this. You know, I, I will run the projections, you know, through CBS and just see what's what spouts out. But, you know, I, I, I print a list of players or I'll go buy a magazine and then I I handwrite. I make notes for myself. You know, I, I'll put on the side, you know, you know, five or ten sleepers that I think I can get, you know, later on. Um, you know, that, that it's it's worked for me, you know, so, I mean, I've had a lot of success over the years. So, you know, when it comes to the other leagues that I do, the expert leagues, you know, I definitely do put in a little more, but it's different kind of preparations, but I don't use the software. I really just, again, have my focus of the guys that I'm targeting, some categories that I've always been weak on that I want to try to focus on. And, you know, my, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this, you know, over the next half hour, but, you know, when it comes to drafting, you know, it, it's, it's an art and it's not a science because you just don't know how things are going to go. And I feel like rather than pigeonhole myself into, well, I have to do X, Y, and Z, I kind of allow myself the flexibility to pivot and improvise. Because if something happens that I didn't plan for, I don't want to be stuck on my my sheet looking at, well, then I have to do this, I have to do this. I, I want to go off script. So I do allow myself that latitude to kind of veer away from what I'm intending on doing and what versus what I need to do. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I've been talking about this a lot recently on Fantasy Feud because we've been reviewing some of the drafts that Shelly and I have been doing uh, early this season. And I've been calling this the choose your own adventure draft strategy. Like I like to think I'm very modular in terms of how I think of a draft. If I get a starting pitcher in round four, then I will do this following thing. If I miss on a stolen base guy in round one or two, I'm going to take Nico Horner in round five because I know that he's got 50 bags sitting there in round five, right? And I, I like to think in terms of of an if-then scenario. And not all of those then scenarios show up, right? Like some of them just kind of get discarded because you get some other dude or something falls in your lap and you take care of that need. Yep. Um, speaking of, one of the ways that gets sort of changed year to year with this is the changing landscape. And I think in 2023 in particular, we had a lot of new rules and a lot of changes, some of which are going to trickle in to 2024. I think in particular, stolen bases could go up even higher. I don't think every team in the league really uh, maximized the new rules on stolen bases. And I think the teams that did saw a huge profit from it. But I'm curious for you, Jason, how are the categories themselves impacting your draft 
your draft prep, particularly for the things like stolen bases that changed because of the rules or wins that are getting more scarce, but really any category looking at the landscape. Well, this is a unique season uh, compared to recent ones. We have the only thing changing are those awful uniforms. We have no rules changes. We have no baseball changes that we know of. We have no pandemic shortening the season. You know, we don't have any changes. Uh, and so this is really the first stable-ish type of season that we have. And so that's nice. That's actually refreshing to be able to come into the season and be like, okay, cool. Let's see that. And like changing landscape, like you normally you think through things. You need a team needs to be able to have cover 1,458 innings to get through a regular season, assuming there are no extra inning games, but roughly 1,450 innings, right? And it used to be 1,000 from your starters and five and 450 from your bullpen. Those days are long gone. Now it's like, okay, can my staff get me to 900 innings? And you can look at some of these staffs right now and be like, no, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I was, I was just looking at Tampa Bay. I made this comment last night. I have no idea how Tampa Bay is getting to 900 innings out of their starting pitchers. Um, so maybe Blake Snell can sign a belly light contract and come back home uh, and then you know, with opt-outs every year. But it's that that's the crazy thing. So I look at it to say, so obviously stolen base landscape has changed, so we have to adjust for that. Uh, and wins are more distributed. We had, what, eight, nine middle relievers win eight to 12 games last year. Like, a guy like Colin, uh, Colin Poche, 12 wins in 60 innings. Uh, Ian Jabot was like eight, uh, nine, 10 wins and similar things. So look for those types of opportunities. Uh, look for that change of landscapes. So it used to be I'm just drafting starting pitchers, closers, and closer specs. And if you go in with that mindset, you're going to miss out on the new the, the new sweet spot of finding those middle relievers with good ratios that are piling up wins. That's a great point on the middle relievers. And one of the guys that I like late in drafts who goes surprisingly late and has a really good value in the auction calculator is not that strong with the Phillies. Yeah. He was one of those guys getting those two, three middle relief inning appearances. He strikes out a lot of guys. The ratios are really good and you can get some, you can get a lot of wins that way. And Matt Strom, I think has more fantasy value than where he is currently going in drafts. Michael, what about you? How are you evaluating last year's landscape with this year's categories? Yeah, it, I totally agree with Jason. You know, the trends of starting pitching is definitely affecting the way I'm drafting. Like, like I said, rather than focus on really accumulating a lot of depth in pitching in this tout in the draft uh, draft and hold for the tout, you know, I, I took Gallon and Freed in the third and fourth round and I kind of just punted on pitching for the next several rounds because you know, it's very rare. There's only a handful of guys that are going to go five, six innings and even qualify for a win. And then on top of that, you've got to look for those teams that have the good bullpens, including those middle relievers and a closer to lock it down. So I, I totally agree. And, and having those middle relievers available later in drafts to get the vulture wins or get the holds in any, you know, any, in any format, the ratios are going to work and in points and points leagues, especially too. So I think it opens the door uh, for a lot more available players that do have value. And I would also uh, add the, you know, the stolen base category as well. You know, the, you're going to see a lot more players with the new rules, um, you know, have 20, 30, 40 stolen bases, which is just going to increase their values. So I think it's good overall for fantasy baseball to have so many more players that are going to be heavy contributors in some of those, you know, more scarce uh, categories. Yeah, stolen bases last year were so interesting because I thought I gave a generous bump 
to that category target uh, in all of my drafts. And I was well short of what I needed for stolen bases in a couple of leagues last year. So I'm giving it a, a considerable bump again. And I'm a little nervous that some some teams who didn't run as much last year are going to try to push the envelope more there. Or some players, a guy like Trey Turner, who stole 100% of the bases he attempted to steal. I feel like there's a lot more potential for him to go out Get and Kyle run. Schwarber out of his way. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Kyle Schwarber's clogging yeah. up the base pass. Get him out of the way. <laughs> Listen, we love Kyle Schwarber. He he got the nation free tacos a couple of years ago, and that, that was a wonderful <laughs> moment for all of us when Kyle Schwarber sold the first base of the World Series. Uh, Joe, what about you? What are you thinking about with the changing landscape and categories? Um, you know, as for stolen bases for head-to-head points leagues, I will give them more premium if you're in a league that gives you more than one point for it. So hopefully you're in a league where they give you two or three points for a stolen base and then it really kind of ratches it up those guys that steal that steal bases um but as for pitching i i I realize that there's not as many guys that are throwing quality starts but if you're targeting the guys that do that means they're going to be giving you innings probably a lower era chances for a win so you have them and more strikeouts so you have them maybe helping out in multiple categories if you can have those guys that do give you the quality starts um but yeah, that's really all I'm looking at it when it comes to the categories section right now as the landscape. All right. One more sort of landscape question. Uh, position scarcity. I think that changes year to year. Some years we have like a very fewer number of set closers, for example, or catchers who we all feel comfortable with. I actually feel like position scarcity this year has been less impactful than it has been in some other years. It feels like with the exception of a little bit of a cliff in those, a cliff in those tier one outfielders and that cliff in starting pitching that Michael was just talking about in terms of guys who are going to qualify for wins. I feel like the values are pretty evenly distributed across the positions, but I'm curious what y'all see in your drafts, Joe position scarcity. Is it impacting how you're thinking about your drafts? And if so, which positions and why? I mean, the, the only position right now that just looking at the board that I feel like is a little bit light is like third base. There just doesn't seem to be too many <laughs> options like at third base that I'm looking at compared to the other positions. So I feel like you might have to put a little bit more premium on the third base position earlier in your drafts to get one of those guys. Uh, a couple, uh, Maybe it was an hour ago they were talking about how catcher is pretty deep this year when they're normally the years are a little bit weak. So, you know, other, you know, the relief is just so volatile. So, you know, hopefully you, everybody's in a league that gets, you know, if you're in a points league that give holds that definitely, you know, gives you a, a wider uh, player pool they get selected with when it comes to relief. But yeah, third base for me seems to be the one position I feel like is a little scarce this year. Now, that's a great call out because there is kind of a cliff right around Alex Bregman where if you haven't gotten your third baseman by that point, you're kind of you're, I, I find myself going, oh, what exactly is my plan at this position? J- Jason, what about you? Are there positions that you're particularly worried about this season in a mixed league? No, uh, honestly, I have not. All the drafts I've done so far have been mixed league and I, position scarcity, scarcity has not even crossed my mind. Now, in a in an AL or an NL only format, absolutely. Uh, the first and third base, the, there are some cliffs. Uh, if you don't get up to the, if you don't, you know, top five or six, and if you don't want to pay that or use that early draft capital, then let it slide. Uh, there are some things uh, elsewhere, but in the mono league, there it it crosses my mind, but it's never like a 
oh my God, I need to reach and get this guy. I look at it and say, okay, I'm down to, let's use catcher for an example. All right, it's Mitch Garver or Jonah Heim. Am I cool with, do I overpay for that? Or do I just wait and go get Danny Jansen or, or take a shot at, or with Bo Naylor later on? So I'm, I'm fine with that. But uh, I, honestly, I don't let position scarcity move the needle for me at all in mixed league formats. And I give it a little credence uh, in mono leagues, but not much. Yeah, really great call out on mono leagues. I was talking to someone who plays in an AL mono league and they were uh, t describing the first base situation to me. And I was like, oh, that is kind of a disaster after Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because all of those really top tier first basemen are playing in the NL um, right now. So great shout out on the mono league question. I agree with both of you. Um, on catcher, I find that even in two catcher leagues, I feel pretty comfortable waiting on catcher and not forcing the issue this season. I think there's some interesting names who are going late that you can take with like your final round pick as well. Michael, position scarcity. Is there any place that you find it impacting your draft so far? Yeah, well, I, I guess, uh, you know, jo Joe's been stealing my notes here because I third base is what I had written down as well. Um, you know, I think after, you know, Austin Riley would be, you know, obviously the guy that you target, you know, really early. But after that, you know, the Machado, you know, Machado, the uh, Bregman, Arenado, Muncie, like all those guys, once you, once you're past them, then it's just a crapshoot and you might as well wait a little while. I mean, th there is a significant drop off, but then you have several guys that are all kind of equivalent with each other. So that's a situation I, I'm in right now in, in Tower Wars. I, I missed out on Muncie and Arenado and I'm looking at it and there's, you know, there's uh, uh, Josh Young and, uh, you know, Jamer Candelario. Like, you know, they're fine, but I'm not going to go reach for them at this point. So I feel like I can wait a little longer, you know, maybe, uh, you know, try to try to get Brett Beatty, you know, on, on a bounce back year, you know, gamble on him. There's plenty of options. So as long as you're not panicked, but, you know, you do have to notice that the third base is pretty weak when historically, you know, back in the day that used to be one of the strongest positions. And then, mm -hmm. you know, and, in, and first base too. I mean, I really feel like first base is very top heavy as well. You know, that used to be another premium position you'd see. But, you know, after the first five or six, there was a big drop off. And then everyone else is kind of in the same boat. So if you if you don't get those top players, you don't need to panic. But you don't want to overspend because there's, there are a lot of options later on. Yeah, Brett Beatty is a great call out for late and like a drafted holder when you're looking for a third base option there. Another guy I really like around that spot uh, is Michael Garcia, who's leading off for the Royals and I think is pretty interesting bat with a little bit of speed. Uh, let's do a quick lightning round. Kentucky Derby system, when you're setting where you want to draft, I'm curious what your top priorities are for KDS this year. And if you are mocking particular positions or if you're more just thinking about it in terms of being at the ends or being in the middle, um, I'll start with this one. Obviously, I want to get the number one pick because Ronald Acuna Jr. is God tier in fantasy above everybody else. But if I can't get the number one pick, I probably just will take any of those first five picks before moving to the middle. And I don't really want to draft off the back end. Uh, Joe, what about you? As you're setting your KDS, do you have a preference for where you draft this season? Um, yeah, definitely one to four would be my preference. Uh, but I don't mind going, um, being in the back also. Um, just because I like having the back, the, you know, the back to back picks and you can really like kind of fill a need if you're, if you have like two spots coming, you can kind of like almost project, okay, I'm going to get two of these four players for sure. I got two of these four players, no matter what happens. So I kind of like that. And then once the draft starts, if you're at the, if you're at the end, you got God mode, but then you're waiting, you know, 24, 24 more picks. And now you're going back to back too. So one, it's basically you either get God mode or you're in the back with us. Um, in the in the in the draft tomorrow, 
Um, I have 11th, which is probably like one of the worst places, I think, because you're like just outside the back and not and you're not even really in the middle. So that is kind of unfortunate. But yeah, one through four are in the back. Yeah, I just drafted the Glarf draft. I was drafting 12th. And that position is really tough because you don't know who is going to fall to you. The player that you're going to get probably is a four-tool guy, not a five-tool guy. Or you could kind of reach for like a Jose Ramirez or a Trey Turner and get the five-tool guy instead. I agree with you. That particular position is not my favorite. But I also love what you said about drafting at the ends. And I find that it frees me up a little bit to ignore ADP and just sort of take the players that I want for my build. Because like, I I don't know if catchers are going to make it back to me. So I'll just start the catcher run and see what happens. Uh, Michael, what about you when you're thinking about KDS and where you want to draft? What are your priorities this season? Yeah, I'm definitely aiming for top five or uh, the, the the end. Um, that, that's always my my sixth KDS. And if I can't get the end, then, I, then I'd rather just be right in the middle. So, and, you know, I'm, I'm, most of the leagues I'm doing this year are 15 or 16 teams. And I'm, you know, I've ended up at eight in a lot of them. And that's, you know, you're still going to get a top player and you're never, you're always equidistant away. So you don't have to wait 25, 30 picks for the next one to go. So if I can't get the very beginning or the absolute end, I'd rather just be right in the middle and, you know, not, not have to go too long without a pick. Yeah, definitely hear that. And I've drafted from both of those positions this year. It's been comfortable at any point that I did love taking Ronald Acuna Jr. in my first draft of the season. Uh, Jason, how about you? Where, where do you want to draft this season? Yeah, Sarah, I'm like you. Uh, I've I've gone every KDS. I've said one to five, uh, and then kind of danced around from there. I am picking one in TGFBI. It's the only time I've scored one. Uh, I have picked from the third, the sixth, the eighth, the thirteenth, and I have a fourteenth um, spot coming up next month. I hated the thirteenth. Did not did not like it at all. Didn't even like how the team was playing out. But you made a great point about picking on the end, being able to jump ADP, like even. In the uh, I, I'm in the 13th round where I'm picking third, and something you talked about in the uh, the podcast that you had uh, with Shelly, and I forgot the guess, maybe it was Adam, where you were like super upset about getting jumped uh, on Christopher Morell. I took him with pick 13.3 uh, because somebody I really wanted Eduardo Rodriguez there because I was trying to grab some balance for pitching. I was like, okay, Rodriguez is gonna come back. He did, and he went two picks before me. And so I was like, I don't like the rest of these pitchers right now, and I don't feel like I need to reach. But there's Morel, a guy that I don't kind of need, but I really also like. I'm just gonna take him, and then I'll worry about how I address the pitching later. Yeah, that Christopher Morel snipe was brutal because it meant that I had to take both Tommy Edmond and Nolan Gorman to make up for what I wanted out of Christopher Morel, which was funny because uh, apparently Adam had Nolan Gorman at the top of his queue, so I sniped him right back. But it's a great it's a great point that you can sort of move around what you're going to do with ADP as you get to certain rounds, and that actually goes straight to our next question. And I wonder how much where you're drafting impacts this. I find that somewhere along about the 11th or 12th round, I'm willing to jettison ADP more than I am early in a draft. Like early in a draft, I don't want to get too far away from where the rest of the board is. But once we get to a certain point, I'm just going to go get the guys that I want to get to build my team. When does that happen for you, Jason? It sounds like it happened for you in that draft right around the 13th round. And does it change if you're towards the middle or the end? 
I think it's like a, a sliding scale about what are your team needs versus ADP. So it's like, again, I made it earlier. It's a, it's a reference point. It should not be like, this is where I, I have to draft by this. Sure. You may come out with a great fantasy pros grade on, on the site afterwards, but who cares? Uh, it's like, just go ahead and, and take what you need. If, if there's a guy that you need and it's around early, especially if you're towards the end, there's a good chance that guy's not going to be back there. And that's really what I use ADP as, as a guy is like, what's the percentage chance that this guy is going to be here? And uh, in the 12th round on, the, on that 12th, 12.13 pick, I took Jonah Heim because I'm looking at two teams, but in front of me and both of them only had, uh, I was like, okay, maybe somebody will double tap a catcher. And typically the team on the turn is always the one that double taps the catcher. And sure enough, one of them did. I really like Heim this year, even though he had a great year. Even a little bit of aggression, he's still going to have a good year. Uh, I thought he was the best guy left on the board at the position. I wanted to address it, so I went ahead and did that. What it cost me was Eduardo Rodriguez, who I thought would wait another round and I'd be able to get him. No, he went uh, He went uh, the next pick after the double-tap catcher. Yeah, Dr decisions have consequences, right? Like you miss on Rodriguez, so then you have to do something else. You have to pivot. You have to figure out where that next best value is. Uh, Joe, what about you when you're drafting? When do you sort – how long do you let ADP inform that strategy, and when do you mix it up? Okay, well, first, for head-to-head -head points leagues, I don't use ADP at all because every league is so different. Great point. It's not a great thing to look at. It's just not – now, tomorrow – I will definitely look at ADP a little bit more just because it's just not the format that I am 100% comfortable with as, as in terms, but it's not, it's still not something that I highly put much of emphasis on. I definitely, it's a reference point. Maybe if it's in between two players that I have, but it's really, really not. I like using the tiering system way more than using ADP. Um, no matter how that turns out to be. It's just almost like a – it's a general rule that I use across a lot of fantasy sports that I use. I just don't I pay attention to it because it's so skewed in so many ways and such to where I just – I kind of – like I said, it's a reference point like Jason said, and I just move on. Yeah, it's a great point about head-to-head -head points leagues and ADP. That's just not informative at all. You have to know your system. You got to know your guys. You can't possibly look at what other people are doing. Um, Michael, what about you? How are you letting ADP inform your draft strategy, and where where do you start to punt on that? I absolutely abhor ADP. I think that uh, I, I think that it is smoke and mirrors. I think it's a lot of BS, and I think that. Yes, it is a frame of reference, and but I, I think that using it as any type of resource to frame your draft pick is foolish because where is it coming from? Like, you know, you don't know every person or how, you know, where, where all these drafts are being tabulated, what the motivations are. You know, I, me personally, I, I tend to be skeptical about things. So I feel like wherever the ADP number is being generated, it's being influenced by something. So, you know, Ellie De La Cruz, again, I bring him up as a perfect example. You know, his ADP has skyrocketed. You know, why? I mean, you look really look at this. I guess he's a dynamic player. He can he can certainly explode in a few categories. You know, maybe he will really become, you know, a superstar. But on the small sample we saw, he has no plate discipline whatsoever. He's got a lot of holes in his game. Cincinnati's got a plethora of middle infielders. So if he struggles, they've got plenty of other options to step in for him if he's hitting, you know, 205 by the end of May. So to me, ADP is something that the industry has created and uses as talking points. 
but using it as any type of draft tool, I don't think is really effective. And you also have to consider the the people that you're drafting with. If if you're not dealing with experts and you're dealing with you know the the, the, the layman who just loves fantasy baseball, they're more inclined to rely on ADP. They're going to look at when they're looking at you know names down the list. They say, oh, this guy's getting drafted twenty three point eight. So they're most likely going to pick that guy. So, you know, I think that you use it to your advantage. Let someone else take the guy that's being trendy for a reason. That's a great point about ADP, um, not knowing all of the inputs to it. Just uh, Justin made a great point here in the chat that, you know, that weighs the first and last place teams together. All of the decisions get put into that. So you're getting the value of what the crowd is doing, but you also need to know that some of what the crowd is doing may not be correct. Let's talk through a couple of different points in the draft. And as we do this, maybe shout out one guy that you're targeting in these rounds so that people can get an idea of your thought process. But let's go early rounds first. Um, I do try to plan out the first four rounds of any draft. And obviously I have to change things as if like a bunch of pitchers go earlier than I thought that I'm probably not going to wait until round four to take my starting pitcher. So it's a little bit modular, but I like to have a plan of what I'm going to do with those first four picks and how I'm going to fill category needs. And I, I kind of like to stick to my plan, even if it means I don't take the most valuable player off the board. I recognize that that's a little bit and orthodox. Joe, what about you? What's your early round strategy? Is there one person you're targeting here? I mean, to me, it's best player available for the first few rounds. I'm just trying to see. Obviously, if if it comes up to where just obviously three three outfielders are, are coming at me in the first three picks, I probably would switch. However, I'm just trying to look for the best three players at that point. I, I mean, I love Julio Rodriguez. He's probably, you know, he would be the guy – I, I would love to target if I had one of those, you know, top five picks. I'm not getting Kuna, um, but that's that's the one guy that's sticking out to me this year. I just feel like he's just trajectory is just still going up, and he hasn't hit that ceiling yet. Uh, great call out on J Rod. I have taken J Rod second in a couple of drafts, and I absolutely adore him. Uh, Michael, what about you? Value? Got, who's a guy that you're looking for in those early early rounds? Well, you know. I, I'm admittedly a Yankee hater, but I, I have to say that I love Juan Soto in uh, pinstripes for this year. When Steve Cohen shows out $600 million for him next year, then I'll be wearing his jersey. But uh, I love Juan Soto for this one year in a, a contract year with that short that short porch, probably hitting with Judge either in front of him or behind him. So he, he'd be my target you know, after Acuna if I had one of those first couple picks. But because I'm in the middle, um, I'll just tell you, in, in uh, draft and hold for Tat Wars, I had the eighth pick and I took Freddie Freeman. And I did that because of his, you know he is just really 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 good in all categories and and the, the draft and hold league is OBP so you know he had a plus four hundred OBP he stole twenty plus bases last year he's hitting you know somewhere in the middle of Betts and Otani I mean you can't ask for a better spot so you know for 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 me this year Freddie Freeman who's already you know elite I I, I really love him this year. A great shout out on both Soto and Freeman. I, Freeman is such a high floor player in an OBP format. It's it's incredible. And Soto, for that matter, is an incredible player in an OBP format. But I'm with you. He is going to crank at Yankee Stadium. And the projection system show him as hitting one more home run at Yankee Stadium than he did at Petco Park. And I just, I think that is incorrect. I think that he's going to launch to that short porch all day. Jason, what about you? So in the early rounds, uh, what I found myself doing in the first five rounds is three hitters, a starter, and a closer is, is the build that I've been using uh, with that. And so 
That's that's and the, the the player that I've liked that I keep finding sitting there in the fifth round is O'Neill Cruz. You know, we were talking earlier about Ellie De La Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz keeps sneaking up into the third round. Put the two Cruzes together, and O'Neill looks a lot more attractive and less risky, and he's going two rounds later. So that's the guy that I've been targeting as long as he stays in the fifth round. If he starts climbing up into the fourth, then I'll slide another direction. But so far in the last last two drafts, I've been able to pick up Cruz in the fifth round. O'Neill Cruz in the fifth round. I've been very happy with that. You know, I also find O'Neill Cruz to be the more interesting of the cruises going in the first 10 rounds. And it's all of the reasons people like Ellie are the same reasons we were super high on O'Neill Cruz a couple of years ago, the sprint speed and he hits the ball really hard and he's a toolsy guy and all of that jazz. And I just, I feel like we've slept a little bit on the fact that they are functionally the same player with the same flaws. And one of them goes, you know, 40 picks later. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's wrap this with a lightning round. We've only got about five minutes left here, but I do want to get your answer to this. One guy you're targeting who has an ADP after 300. And Michael, I will start with you. And I know you said you were poor ADP. So it's, if you pick a guy who's like a 290 or something, but just a late round guy you like. Well, I, I did my research. So these are all guys that are at least from what I saw, plus 300. And I'm going to cheat. I have three answers. Graham Ashcraft, Tim Anderson, and Kyle Manzardo. Um, Ashcraft... I, I liked last year. I think, you know, another year of experience. I like the Reds this year. I think that he's going to take a step forward. Tim Anderson just signed with the Marlins. You know, he had probably, what, what, didn't he have like statistically the worst season ever of any hitter last year or something? So I think that he's a real good bounce back candidate and playing in Miami. He's going to steal some bases. He can't be any worse. And then Kyle Manzardo, I think he's going to get a chance to play with Cleveland this year. Always liked him in the Tampa, in the Tampa system. So those are three guys above 300 that I would look for. I love the Tim Anderson shout out. I just wrote this up for baseball HQ and the playing time tomorrow column that I think went live yesterday. Uh, he's the only true shortstop on that team. It's a slew of second basemen. So he's going to play shortstop. He's going to play it all the time. And it's a one year, $5 million deal. So he's got every incentive in the world to pull a Cody Bellinger and reset his value. That's a dude we were taking in the first three rounds for a long time for a reason. And yeah, I love the Tim Anderson call out there. Uh, Jason, what about you? Who is a late round guy that you're targeting? So uh, a, a couple of them, I would say one on the cheap is John Brebbia. Uh, somebody's got to close in Chicago. Like maybe he's this year's Trevor's Met, Trevor May and gets 20 plus saves for a bad team. Uh, so that's somebody that I've seen sitting out there. Somebody else that I've looked at uh, in the, along the same means, because you're trying to look for middle relief value, Jeff Hoffman in, in Philadelphia. A lot of people are still focused on Orion Kirkering. Yeah, that slider's nasty, but there's a ton of inexperience there. Hoffman's coming off a phenomenal season. I'm still making the play for him as the next guy up for saves. And then finally, not to rub salt in, in Mike's wounds, but uh, Christian Scott with the Mets, all these pitching injuries. Christian Scott is just in a great spot. Uh, I took him in a 30th round of Wharf um, nice. before the Senga news, and, and I, I really like that pick now. So those uh, those are a couple of guys I've been targeting late. All right, it looks like Justin's going to kick us off pretty quick, but Joe, who's the late-round guy you're targeting? I'll just three guys real quick. Chris Paddock, I like him. I like Jake Cronworth. And I like Clark Schmidt out of the Yankees. I think he's going to come up with his second year and improve. My two guys are Johan Rojas with the Phillies, who came out and hit 300 and stole 16 bases and 149 plate appearances last year. And I know that average is probably going to regress a bit, but that dude has some speed. He's going to play center field. And I am a big fan of Yvonne Herrera, the backup catcher 
for the Cardinals. He's got a lot of pop in his back. They don't particularly love Wilson Contreras behind the plate. So I think if Yvonne Herrera gets those starts at catcher, he's a really nice potential offensive upside catcher who's going super late. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. And Justin, uh, thank you for having all of us. I'm uh, at BCB Sarah at under at BCB underscore Sarah on Twitter, which yes, we're calling it Twitter forever. You can find my work at Baseball HQ and Pitcher List. Joe, remind people where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Patio Joe Ref, and my content is at fantasyguru.com. And Sarah, if you ever need somebody to come on your pod and talk head to head points, I'm your man. All of you are coming on, getting invites to Fantasy Feuds, so just wait for them in your DMs. Uh, Michael, remind people where they can find you. <laughs> uh, you can find me on twi at Twitter, uh, at Fantasy Judgment. You can go to fantasyjudgment.com uh, if you want to read some previous decisions from over the years. If you want to submit a case, uh, you can go to fantasyjudgment.com. And uh, I, I will piggyback on Joe's uh, invitation to talk about head-to-head -head points as well. Uh, we seem to share a brain in that sense. So happy to do that. And uh, always a pleasure to be here, Justin. Thanks for having us. Awesome. And Jason, where can people find you and your wonderful work? So find me on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast on Sundays. Find me there on uh, Blue Sky, uh, hanging out, and then the Collect Calls column uh, weekly. And if you're coming to First Pitch Florida, come say hi. <laughs> there we go. Uh, great panel, guys. It was fantastic. And, and lady... Uh, it was fantastic to uh, hear you guys drop some draft strategy knowledge. I'm going to unfortunately boot you all out as I have.